Welcome to episode 177 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samples. I believe that relationships are the answer to any business challenge or, for that matter, any life challenge. I'm a relationship-based business strategist. Making and sustaining connections is one of my core strengths and even I have a hard time keeping up with my ever-growing network. I feel it's important to say yes to most introductions, make an impression, and stay in touch in little and big ways. None of this matters if you still feel icky about networking, but Let's say you're one of my coaching clients and you've had a mindset shift, so you no longer think networking is a dirty word. Knowing there's another way to be in the world isn't enough. You need to create a habit. You need to have some strategy. You need to see progress being made. A few years ago, I interviewed John Corcoran and he shared his conversations list strategy, a list of 50 people you want to stay in touch with over the next year. In his words, The conversations list strategy is a method for proactively identifying and tracking the people who you should be networking with to grow your business and or career. This is what I was recommending to a coaching client recently when she asked for support around who to add to that list. Here's my answer. A majority of your list should be people who already know you, would welcome hearing from you, and are related to your industry in some way. There are three kinds of people to focus on to leverage your network influencers, connectors, and hosts. You've likely heard about the first two, and their names kind of give away their definitions, but you may not have considered the last one, host. There are people in your network who regularly organize gatherings. These people may not be big influencers or have connector as a core identity, but they bring people together regularly. There can be tremendous benefits to being top of mind for someone who hosts formal or informal events in your industry. It could lead to speaking opportunities, invitations to attend, and referrals when you're not even in the room, and so much more. Your challenge for this week, set a timer for 30 minutes and brainstorm at least 20 people to add to your conversations list. Don't overthink this step. Make a list of possible high-level touch points that would be appropriate for this list. For example, writing a review for their book, or Googling an I saw this and thought of you article, or sending a private message when you learn about an update in their world. Make reaching out a habit by scheduling three 15-minute blocks of time each week for 90 days. Keep adding to your conversations list until you have 50 people, then print your list and keep it highly visible. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's show. Today's guest began her training as a customer service expert when she was only nine years old. Growing up as a Midwest farmer's daughter, she learned how to master the art of customer engagement to help sell more sweet corn than the competition. Since then, she's made her mark as an entrepreneur, keynote speaker, and author. She's the go-to resource for customer service excellence. For over two decades, she has shared her practical point of view on customer service and staff development with audiences and companies across the country. Her approach includes blending real-life examples with proven action steps for improvement. Her latest book, 
The 10 Cent Decision, How Small Change Pays Off Big, features her most sought after and impactful strategies to find and retain the best staff and highest quality customers while also delivering exceptional guest experiences. Please join me in welcoming Lori Guest. Good morning. Good to be here. Laurie, thank you so much for joining me from your office in DeKalb, Illinois, up there in Northern Illinois. It's a pleasure to have you here. And as you know, this, uh, this is a show about um, building strong networks, right? And, and the context here is leadership because that is, uh, it's true. Like anyone who succeeded in their you know, field or industry has, has done so not as an island, but in a community, they have some people around them. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Well, my definition of leadership is pretty simple. It's the ability to get desired results from others, no matter what environment you're in. So whether it's a tough environment and we're facing change, or if it's everybody's on board and we're really excited about where we're going, when you think about it, even leadership within inside a family, where are we going to go to dinner? And I need everybody to nod. Yes, they agree, right? So I think that's where uh, what my definition of leadership is. And I started to realize that actually at a really early age, at about 10, um, my whole thing was my jump rope, my rules. So <laughs> and I found out really early that uh, people didn't want to follow you long term if you were bossing them around and shaking your fist and, and uh, controlling or trying to keep all the power. And so really early on, I realized that if I could be inclusive and I could make sure that everybody was included on the playground or that I was kind to as many people as possible, that I could become a person that others thought, well, what's Lori up to? Let's go see what she's doing. And that really is carried into my adult life. Usually I got something brewing. I got some activity going that I hope others want to be a part of. Gosh, I am so glad that you went back to the playground because, you, you know, in your intro, we reference you being nine years old. And a lot of people, when I ask these questions, they might go back to like business school or, or college. <laughs> like that's just where they don't go. They don't dig back to like, you know, out on the playground. Um, and can you repeat again, that definition of leadership was so good. It was getting people. Right. My definition of leadership is the ability to get desired results from others. Wow, it's, I love it for its conciseness. It makes sense to me. It echoes in my own lived reality that you can't direct people to follow you. Mm-hmm. They have to willingly follow you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't demand followership. <laughs> you have to attract followership. I mean, not for long, you know, maybe for like a minute, you know, like escaping a burning building, you could kind of order people to, you right. know, out. But um, long term, you're right. Like, helping people realize that you're, you're a good, kind person. You're always doing interesting things. This is true. It's how I think of you today. And then people are like, hey, what's Laurie up to? I mean, uh, that's, it's clever that you figured that out at an earlier age because most times people are still staying in that, as you use the word bossy, sort of stage of de- demanding you know, people follow you and, and follow your rules. I love the... Um, my jump rope, my rules. <laughs> I can totally well, see how that works. I know. Well, and Bossy Lori still comes out from time to time and I have to work to, to put her back in, you know. But over the years when I, I entered into a situation where I was working with entrepreneurs or especially like CEO and upper level manager uh, type people, uh, the ones that do really well are those who make 
people, I should say influence people to want to follow them or be a part of the team. The ones that are struggling and turning to me and saying, Lori, I can't get my people to do what they're supposed to do. The more I listen to them, the more I realize it's because they're shaking their finger and they're demanding it. So they're getting all this pushback and here they think it's everybody else's fault. And most of the time it's because they're controlling the jump rope. Mm. Yeah. And then you bring out the jump rope and you give them <laughs> the scenario right there. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> How would you feel if I always told you the rules? Um, yeah, what a good metaphor though. So, um, you know, did you have people in your life at that time who saw like a leadership potential or quality in you or, or maybe the other question would be someone you looked up to as a great leader at that time? I think people naturally looked to me as a leader because I wasn't afraid. So even at an early age, I could stand up in front of people. As a professional speaker, people ask all the time, were you ever afraid? How did you know this was your thing? And I knew early on because it never bothered me. In fact, um, I have a brother who's 12 years older than I am, and we're the only two. And so we were both like only children. So by the time I was in kindergarten, he was already on his way to college, right? So we're both only children. And I just remember pretty much everything was always about me. The focus was on me. I was the one taking control of everything. And that's where things, I I think I had a hard learning curve there. And once I learned it, I realized that people did look to me for leadership. It was my reaction to that attention that needed some, oh, fine tuning, I should say. Does that make sense? It does make sense. It's also this idea of having two siblings that were growing up as only children because of your time apart. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so because you because that at that point you're not you're not competing with other people for attention, which is right. kind of what you're saying, right? So you you were at a point in life where you were used to the attention, you were okay with the attention, but then you realized the way you accepted it sometimes drew drew not the reaction you wanted. Like, Correct. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yes. And you and- course corrected a- along the way. Yeah. What did you think you were going to be when you grew up? Since you had these skills selling sweet corn and you know managing a benevolent dictatorship on the playground. (laughs) Well, you know, I came from an era where unfortunately uh, women fell in the category of we were either going to be teachers and that I didn't want to do or nurses. And I I didn't want to do that. Although I did end up in healthcare, I wasn't a nurse or you could be an executive secretary. And my attention to detail did not allow me to have that job. And so I actually, my first job, which is perfect for me, I worked in a deli. I was making donuts and cutting meat. And uh, I started to learn really early on that I could do some uh, creative things. I think that kind of fall into leadership. So here's my perfect example. This is actually in my book is that there was this one family that would come into the deli every Sunday morning and the kids would be disappointed if there weren't sprinkled donuts left after church. So one Sunday, because I'm the one who gets to make the donuts on Sunday, one Sunday, I just asked the kids what their names were. I remember they were the O'Brien kids and they each told me their name and I asked what their favorite color was. And of course, they each had three different favorite colors. So that morning I made two donuts of each color and put the sprinkles on top. So that when the kids came, I said, I think I've got something just for you. And I gave them a six. They normally only bought one donut a kid, but I've already boxed up a six pack. What are the folks going to do? Right. So it's, I don't remember the colors anymore, but let's say two pink, two blue, two purple or whatever it was. And I gave it to the parents. And I remember my uh, store manager, his office was just off of the deli and he heard all of this. And he came out and he said, that was a really smart thing to do. So not only had I increased the sale by three huge donuts, right? But the family came to watch for me. They came to anticipate that I would have their donuts ready. And that's, I remember clearly thinking, wow, that creativity is going to take me places. And really, that's, that's what it comes down to. I tell my audiences a lot. My formula is, is that creativity plus humor equals connection. 
So if I can be creative and then when the family gets there, I add something that makes them smile or maybe on a good day makes them laugh, I have a connection with them. They're going to come looking for me. And I always wondered that first Sunday after I left that job, what were the O'Brien kids saying? Where were, what were, you know, they had to have been disappointed that Lori wasn't in her brown smock with big pockets behind the, behind the counter. And that's when things start, I started to realize that this creativity and humor does connect you with other human beings and you've got to use the right combination in the right setting. Um, but if you watch for it, the magic happens. What's so interesting is that someone else could have had that same job and just learned how to use a slicer. That's right. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, like that's, that's what people, you know, came to learn how to do. Um, you're, you're making me think so many things at once is the hard part about an interview with an interesting person. Um, one, I want to mention that I worked in a flea market booth that my dad had at a very early age between like, he had it from like when I was like eight or so to 14. Mm-hmm. Um, but from around 10 to 14, I really was working there. And I learned so many things about how to interact with people upsell. I got really good at upselling. Mm-hmm. You got a, you got a like smart 11 year old. Saying, mm-hmm. do you know where you do? Do you know where the oh, we sold Christmas stuff too? So I'm like, do do you know where the ribbons and tape are? Are you sure? I mean, listen, they're two for a buck. Why not just like add a, add a couple of them? Do you have boxes? Do you have the right size boxes? Do you have any unusual packages? You have to. I have every kind of you know, and it just they'd be like eating it up. And they came in for a roll of wrapping paper and left with like a hundred dollars. And they spent a hundred dollars. I said, I'll bring it to your car if, yeah. you, if you pay a hundred dollars. And they would tip me a buck and I'd go get a hot chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> so proud of yourself. Right? So proud of myself. Yeah. So, I, you know, this is the kind of thing, like depending on your, your settings, some people would have just, you know, sold wrapping paper. Right. And this is the difference mm-hmm. between the people who I think have an entrepreneurial spirit at any age. Um, but you said that the, the limitations of sort of what you saw as the career options, like mm-hmm. what was on your horizon, the people around you, um, like you, your career has spanned so many interesting like moments. It's like a nice little broken road that now makes sense, right? In retrospect, right. yes. Where, when did you realize you actually were on a track that made sense? Oh, I don't know that I ever realized I was on a track until I landed there. So at, while I was working at the grocery store, I knew that that was just a high school job and wasn't my long-term plan. And so right after high school, a friend was working at a chiropractor and she said they needed help. And so I knew that I liked people and I loved the idea of helping people. So that's how I started. And then uh, they had graduated from uh, Palmer College of Chiropractic in Iowa. And it just seemed like the natural thing to do is to go get an education in this. So if I want to learn how to take spinal x-rays, that would be an interesting thing to do. And before I knew it, I was on that path to healthcare really by default It's because I didn't want to make donuts my whole life. So it really just fell into place. And I graduated from there and did that for two years and then switched to ophthalmology. And it's only because in the town where I live, there was a really up and coming, regionally well-known eye care facility that was doing interesting and first of their kind in their industry. And I, I've realized now looking back, that's what attracts me. If, if you said to me today, Robbie, I've got this idea, Lori, nobody else is doing it. Let me explain it to you. You want to come on board and we'll partner to do this idea that nobody else is doing. I'd be signing on the dotted line before you even tell me what my investment is, because I love the idea of doing something no one else is doing, or what we believe no one else is doing. And, um, through that job, I started speaking and other industries started coming and saying, hey, can you come and and share your ideas with us at at our bank? And then a bank led to insurance and on and on. And before I knew it, I found out that there was actually a way I could earn a living talking. I remember (laughs) remember telling my mom, people are going to pay me to talk. And she's like, you're kidding. We've been paying you to be quiet, right? (laughs) 
And so here, here I am. And so 25 years later, I look back and I see the road that got me here, but I have to say, it's not a road that was, um, could be laid out that someone could explain to me. And maybe you had a similar experience. One thing led to the next thing, led to the next thing. And all of a sudden, here I am looking back going, okay, today it all makes sense. And I wouldn't have an arsenal of stories and experiences and things to share with my audiences if I hadn't taken this path. Until still on occasion when it's appropriate telling stories about the cornfields and the donuts and the chiropractic. Each one of them is adding to the war chest of stories. And I don't think you could throw out a topic that has to do with customer service or leadership that I don't have some little morsel of a story I can pull out of the past that, that I lived through. And how, how could I be a speaker if I hadn't gone through all of those uh, uh, situations and, and leading people along the way? So right, that's, speakers that's what are, I think. Yeah, speakers are storytellers. And that's if right. you have if you haven't lived and you don't really have enough stories to share that's to, right. to illustrate whatever you're trying to to get people to to take away from uh, that talk. Um, I love that you found your way to this. Um, I also have to sort of underscore the obvious thing, which is that, you know, bakers, like the Baker family tends to find a kid who bakes. Yes. Um, so the fact that you do excellent customer service as your topic, um, you know, and your last name is guest, like guess, you know, there's gotta be some sort of thing there. <laughs> I'm a guest speaker. I always joke that I, I looked for, I, I say this a lot. I look forever to find, to marry the man whose last name is what I wanted to be in life. I was originally looking for Tom Skinny, but I didn't find it. Uh, <laughs> <Right>? Yeah. So, <laughs> so it, it worked out. It, it worked, worked out. out. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> it, 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 it's funny how, uh, how like you, how, how somehow there was an attraction <laughs> underlying all the other attractions. You're like, this could really work out. Um, so this is really great. At what point did you say, I'm going to just do this as a like business, not just, you know, have someone pay me to go out and speak, but like, when did you realize, like you said, suddenly, well, wait, this will actually pay me. This is a career. Right. I remember that when I spoke inside Illinois and did it as a PR uh, division of my job, I made no money. So my regular salary paid me to speak. And then an organization outside our state, so Indiana, um, invited me to come, this particular organization. And I thought to myself, well, why, do I, why am I doing that for free when they're offering a nice paycheck for it? So I just went to my boss and I said, look, when I speak inside Illinois, can we have it be part of my salary? But when I speak outside of Illinois, I take personal time or vacation time to do it and I get to keep the check. And he looked at me funny and said, well, you can go and keep the check and you don't have to take time off either. So I was like, he was that generous because it was in our niche field. So it was helping our reputation for me to represent our company. So it was when I left the I world and started doing other industries where it made no sense for him to pay me as well. So I actually said to him, I'm going to a banking conference. There's nothing to gain for you on this. I'm taking a vacation day. So I was very insistent that I wanted to own that money. But my favorite part is I remember when I came home with my first paycheck and I won't say what it is, but by today's speaking salary, it's very, very low. It would not be a number that you and I would look at and say, woohoo, you really scored. And I showed this check to my husband. I remember saying, in all honesty, we can't ever expect me to make more per speech than what this check is. And he's like, but that's still a good check. And I look back and laugh about my low expectations for what really you could do in the, what I could do in the business to, to build this up and make it be real. So the short answer to the question is after about five of those checks, the next person offered one that had another zero on the end. 
And I came, I came back to my husband. I said, okay, when they add a zero, we can, we, if they do that on a regular basis, we can make a change. And then that's when I realized it really is a real field. I'd only heard of, you know, Tony Robbins and Zig Ziglar. I didn't know that regular people like you and I uh, could do this for a living, but um, I, I figured it out along the way. So this is my 23rd year of doing it full time with no other income. So, so what was your challenge as you made that shift? Was it that you, there are certain aspects of a business that you don't, like you don't love the, you know, the payroll part and the bookkeeping, mm-hmm. or was it more of a mindset around, I mean, you, you yeah. sound like someone who's not risk averse. So I'm not, I'm not risk adverse. So my yeah. biggest challenges really came into the uh, comparison factor because nobody gives you a book that tells you this is how you do it. If you think of all the other industries, if I went to be a plumber, there'd be a book that tells me how you become a plumber and what the going rate is for a plumber. But in our industry, there's, there's all these different ways. There's, uh, comparison. So if, if you're similar to me, then I can charge the same as you charge. Okay. Well, that didn't make any sense to me. And then there is the go by the, there's all these different ways that you can figure out to do the business. And I do not believe today that there's anybody who has the one right way to do it. It depends on your industry, your style, your risk, your, all these factors. So when I really started to have a rise in my business is when I quit comparing, it was about 10 years in and I went, you know what? If this works for me, as long as I'm not breaking any laws, what difference does it make if you do it different than I do it? And that gave me a sense of real freedom. And so today there's things I do that I think my colleagues would be like, you are nuts to do that, but it works for me. And so that gave me this freedom to truly run my business the way I want. And when I find myself getting off track, which happens every four or five years, I look back and I realize it's because somebody's gotten in my head and I'm starting to be influenced by those around me. You and I've been at events where we're surrounded by speaker superstars and you think, well, if so-and-so is doing it this way, maybe then I should. And and that's always dangerous. And I have to get myself back on track and and be in my, uh, what would I say, in my bubble yet still outside my bubble to have relationships that are so important to me, but inside my bubble when it comes to making my own decisions. That's what I find the most challenging in the business. You know, you mentioned going to these big events. So you and I know each other, the National Speakers Association. Mm -hmm. When did you find NSA and how did you know that was uh, the right home for you? Yeah, that was a turning point for me. It really was because I didn't know everybody else existed. I had no idea. There were thousands of me out there. So I just, I had no idea. I was at an event where I was supposed to be one of the featured speakers in the iWorld. And there was this lady speaking before me and she wasn't even in our niche industry. And I knew that they had paid her to come. I didn't get paid to come, but she did. And this is when I was working for the i facility. And uh, when she got done speaking, people were laughing and crying and lining up to buy her books. And I was just in awe of her talent. And I approached her afterwards and, and said that sentence that's been now said to me so many times. I think I want to do what you do. How, how did you do this? And she smiled and she said, well, I'm the incoming president of the National Speakers Association. Let me show you the way. And uh, that was Glenna Salisbury. Wow. And yeah. And she was just, she was the incoming, this happened in September, October of a certain year. And she was incoming president in the following July. And so without knowing anything about NSA, I loaded up my suitcases and my husband, and we went to the national conference, which is just such an overwhelming event for anybody listening who even even at all cares about speaking. This is the premier place to go for this big of shebang, as I would call it. And so it really was that fire hose, you know, uh, uh, introduction into it. And I left going, wow, 
these are my people. This, this is where I belong. And so I went to Big Sur because in California that year. And my husband and I went to Big Sur for the day. And I spent nine hours on the beach mapping out my 10 and 20 year game plan uh, for being a speaker. And that's where it started. So. That's amazing. Yeah. So how was that like 15 years ago? Like how far uh, into? Tw- 23. So that, 23 that was, years ago. Yeah. That was, was actually the very beginning. Wow. Yeah, so that you, was the very beginning. That was the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Good for you. I mean, that's the part that I, I left my career five years ago and joined NSA National a month after mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. went to the, my first conference, you know, six months later. That's where I met my local chapter members because I didn't mm-hmm. actually connect with them first. Um, and, you know, five years in, like, I, you know, people like it, it really makes a difference. But I actually made a decision that I would go for 10 years in a row to this conference and then decide whether it was worth it. Wow. <laughs> Because that's I that's think a big be, investment, 10 years worth of investing. If you don't, I mean, it's a mental investment more than anything. Yeah. You know, it's like commit or I could spend 10 years figuring it out on my own and then try to show up. Right. right? The 10 years is going to happen. Right. And the cost is still there. Either mm-hmm. I'm paying to go to the conference and meet all the right people and get all the right information and content and support, uh-huh. or I'm having to figure it out on my own. And there's the cost of opportunity costs in doing Absolutely. that way. So I was like, well, I was part of the association for my last profession. Why wouldn't I join yeah. for this profession? And, you know, thinking about that drink from the fire hose, that's the work that I'm now focused on is how to help people get from year one to year three. Because, you know, they might have, it's in their neighborhood. It's, it's a drive away. They go to the conference. It's every conference. First year is always super overwhelming, drink from the fire hose. Year two, they think is going to be so much better, but it's only better by small degrees because mm-hmm. they still really don't know anyone. They're still trying to do everything. You know, maybe they can meet someone for lunch, but no one's inviting them randomly for drinks. They kind of still feel like they're floating around. And this time they had to fly, right? Mm-hmm. And so year three is when it starts to feel like settling in, but not everyone gets to year three. You know, the drop-off right. rate really is, could be quite steep in some industries. <clears throat> and then, you know, year five happens, it's a reunion. That's right. No one wants to ever miss it. So what I what I miss yeah. about the early years, and I have to say, is I love the feeling of being a sponge and going. And everything is new and exciting. There's pages and pages of notes, and I don't have to necessarily be surrounded by people. I'm just as happy to go back to my hotel room, you know, do dine in and transfer my notes over. Like I don't have to have people around me to be happy, and that's part of that being like an only child out on the farm. You learn to entertain yourself with your imaginary friends. So Trish goes everywhere with me, right? So I'm never. Alone. <laughs> but what I miss is that now that I have been heavily involved for the 20 years, I can't walk from one end of the hallway to the other without seeing people I'd love to go have drinks with. And so what I'm missing, and I might actually seek out in 2020, is a brand new association that I've never been a part of before. And I'll still stay loyal to NSA and still go, but I'm missing that refill my cup feeling. It's more like camp reunion now than mm-hmm. refill my own intellectual cup. And so like a division of my company, we do secret shopping. We have for the last 15 years and there's an association of secret shoppers. That's all they do. And I don't know enough about this industry. So I'm very tempted this year to sign up for their national conference, go as a complete stranger and start all over again. Isn't that kind of exciting? It is kind of exciting. Also, there really is an association for everything. There is. There's even an association for associations. Right? Yes, yes, yes. That's the people that I like to get to know. <laughs> yeah. So, so I just think that's the part I miss is that refill my cup feeling. I love that. Yeah. So, you know, we've, we've kind of acknowledged the, the span of your career, the people you've met, the investments mm-hmm. and relationships you've had. How do you think about 
nurturing and sustaining not just the that inner core of people you know who are always going to be there for you but that sort of second and third layers out the people that maybe only see annually at a conference or you worked with 5 10 15 years ago but you really enjoyed them and they pop up now and again in your life so like do you have any habits philosophies practices around that i am actually very um what's the word i want to use very uh, purposeful in my reach outs to people. And so I, I really kind of see life, and this is a weird metaphor, but I'm gonna share it with you anyway. I'm surprised I'm saying this out loud, but I really believe this. My life is a marina, a boat marina. And there's only so many boat slips that the marina can manage and really truly manage them effectively. So there's a few boat slips that are right up next to the restaurant in the marina, that those are permanent and they're never going to be vacated. So that's going to be my husband, my children, you know, my 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 inner core of family. They have boat slips. Even if I'm mad at them, their boat slip is still being held for when they come back in from being out of sea, right? Then the next couple of boat slips over are my current, what I would call active friends. Those are people that I'm talking to either by the phone or texting on a very regular basis. And there's about four or five of those. And they're not always the same people. They're seasons of friendships. So right now, you know, I could rattle off the five that currently house those boat slips. And I know where they're at in the world today. I know where they're at, kind of what they're doing, what they got coming this week, what's making them sad, what they're stressing over. I'm really active in their lives. Now we're to the back end boat slips. Those are going to change out. And so if I'm going to meet you in Canada at an event, all of a sudden I got a Robbie boat slip and I am already knowing I'm going to have lunch with you. And we got some stuff we're going to talk about. You got things going on in your business. We want to talk about, I already know what you're holding a slip, but then when that event is over, you might push out to sea and go live your life. And you don't come back into the Marina for six more months, but you remember what a good time it was last time you came into the Marina. Right. And so there's nothing wrong with those slips going in and out, but here's where there's a problem. When I think that I can have 50 boat slips, and they're all active and all getting attention from me, then I'm exhausted because that's way too many boat slips to keep track of. And that's really my personal metaphor for this is that I don't get hung up on, I might go six more months before I talk to you again. I'm not sitting here going, well, don't I have a friendship with him? You know, isn't he thinking about me? Don't I, I, those thoughts don't leave my mind. I know if you need me, you'll call. And if we're going to run across each other, we'll have a, have a Coke, you know, that type of thing. Well, I think there's a lot of people get really hung up on the, who haven't they heard from? And what does that mean? What is the deeper meaning of being disconnected right now? And unless it's the end of a friendship, which I've had that happen a few times, if it's the end of a friendship, and I know that boat isn't ever coming back in, then there's a grieving process. But up until then, you're coming back in eventually. You've got to gas up sooner or later. I love this metaphor. <laughs> I've never heard it. It's so visual. I yeah. think you're right about energy around sustaining these connections. I love the, you know, close to the restaurant people are going to be there permanently. Right. The four or five other slips that are going to kind of seasonally be strong. Um, right. I, the idea that you know where these people are in the world right now and what they're, what they're thinking about and worrying about and excited mm-hmm. about. And then, yes, you know, people come in and out the rest of the time. And I, one of the things I try to do is if I try to think about and anticipate who might be coming into those, those further out slips. Um, so like when we see each other again in July, I'll mm-hmm. be thinking, I'll be thinking like, okay, who, who do I usually run into at this conference in July? And I will spend some time in the month or so before trying to reacquaint, reacquaint myself with what's going on in the world. Just It could just be looking at their social sites. Sure. Um, it could be like sharing and commenting. It could be a note. I usually organize a lunch or dinner. Mm-hmm. 
I'll be honest, Lori, I didn't have anything. I didn't have a single meal by myself for five days. So I'm sure you didn't. That's my level of social. <laughs> I didn't plan my breakfast. I would sh- sit yeah. with anyone, but uh-huh. lunch and dinners, I organized um, gatherings. Uh-huh. So I would, I would start to plot out a few of those beforehand as a reason to reach out and say, hey, what's going on here? Do you want to get together? Let's find a time to meet up. You know, maybe if we don't formalize it, it's just like, setting an intention that we do. They were both looking, and this is the difference between the first two years, mm-hmm. even the first, I mean, by year three, you can do it a little bit, mm-hmm. but it's harder. And by, you know, three, four and five years, it's, you know, I felt the difference. I, this is my fifth year and I felt the difference of, you know, the walking through the crowds and people saying hello. Yeah. And that didn't happen two years ago. So it really is about showing up consistently. But I, I love this visual, this metaphor that you have. Um, is there anything that you're doing? Are you convening people? Are you, uh, you are you like a letter writer? Like, how do you, like, mm-hmm. sort of what are, what are your methods for contact, connecting people? Yeah. So, so one thing that I'll do, like in the example you just gave, if I knew that we were going to see each other in July, a couple of weeks before, I might text you a note that says, hey, whenever we see each other at conference, remind me that I want to talk to you about blah or remind me I want to share such and such story. So it's a touch that means not only is it going to be, hey, how you doing? But it implies we're going to have some type of sit down conversation. So I would consider that kind of a level one. I'm not a big letter writer on the front end, but what I am is a big note writer on the back end. So after we've had contact, it is not uncommon for me to zip off a postal note that says, I can't believe another year has to go by before we cross paths again. Let's see if we can stay in touch or whatever I want to say to you. And I'll put that in the postal mail. Um, As I get busy, that seems to be the first thing that falls off, but that's easy to do in planes. I usually take stationery and and stamps with me. When I go places, I pre-address the uh, envelopes before I go, and then I can write them on the plane, drop them in and drop them from whatever mailbox I happen to. It's a good use of time, I guess I would say. Um, Probably the biggest thing I do though that that I share with other people is the idea that if you feel you're being left out, and I switch metaphors here, but it's the one I shared with a speaker once. She was very upset one day uh, talking to me about the fact that the people that she cares about were always organizing things and she was getting left out. And again, it goes back to our childhood days. We hate it when we're not invited to be in the sandbox. We hate how that feels. And she was really upset about it. And when she was done saying what she had to say, I said, have you ever thought about building your own sandbox? Create your own environment, which is what you're doing, Robbie. When you invite people to come to the meetup, really, you and I would both agree the reason you might do that is because you don't want to take the chance. Maybe you're alone and don't get invited to a sandbox. It's a mechanism that many of us who are outgoing people want to do. It's why I develop some of the parties that I do, is you can't be alone at your own party. If anybody will say yes, you're not alone. And as soon as my friend really took that advice and started to get past the idea of what sandboxes she wasn't invited to, sure enough, she found two huge sandboxes of her own. And I think she's one of the happiest, not because of me, but because of the choice she made. She's one of the happiest people I know now because she doesn't really care whether she's invited to the other sandbox or not. And so the answer is I create these pockets where I'm the host and then eventually you're invited back. And I'm sure you've seen that too. The domino begins and, and you're not sitting alone anywhere. I love it. You are basically reading my mind. I've actually started to, uh, the last few years, spell out the reason I do this, like demystify this, because I think people see me as an outgoing extrovert hosting something and they're sort of like, well, of course you would do that. Like, yeah. you know, like it's like it's supernatural, like that I have these skills and no one, I'm like, no, 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 I'm doing this. So actually I have a great example back from the conference. A few years ago, we were in Orlando and mm-hmm. there was a tickets to go to Epcot. 
Yes. On the last day. Yep. And I knew I was staying and I was going to go. Now, I don't know who's going to invite me to go. And Epcot by myself sounds like not what I want to do at all. Right. So I spent the next two or three days sort of putting out offers and got this, there was eight of us total, total ragtag, you know, no connection. Some people from my chapter, rando people that I sort of knew a little bit and wanted to get to know better. And we met in this lobby and we walked together and we had a great time and we had a meal together and we went on these walks and talks and it was such a wonderful experience. And they were all thanking me. So I started saying, well, here's the thing. If I hadn't done this, I didn't know who was going to invite me and I'm not okay leaving it up to chance. Like, I love it. I want to belong. I mean, that's like a natural human thing. And rather than worry about whether I fit in and belong, I'm going to take some proactive action and measure because I do have the skills to do that. But I also assume other people are looking for that too. And um, I'm going to give a shout out here to Marilyn Sherman, who I wouldn't have met except that I invited her to have dinner last year. And I assumed as the invitation was going to her uh, that she had plans because <laughs> she knows everybody. And like, I've heard her name and seen her on stages and known of her for years. And she heard this offer. It was through a group invitation. I was inviting a group of people. She was in the group. And she came back with a resounding yes because she actually didn't have plans and everyone assumed she did. It and so a lot. she was like, oh, we had... So- like we hit it off. Like I feel like oh, yeah. we had that moment of connection because the invitation was was sent out in a way that made her realize I actually meant her, and I didn't say, "Oh, I'm not going to." I mean, clearly, I mean, it's sort of like you too. Like, of course, Lori. Lori's been around for 20 years. Lori knows everybody. Lori's got plans, and of course, sometimes that means that no one invites you. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> it, is, it is a really weird situation. And I have to tell the story before we run out of time because I love this, and I have not told you the story yet about you and I meeting up at at Speakinsville in Canada. This is a very funny story. So I had it in my head ahead of time that I knew of you. In fact, Marilyn had spoken highly of you, but I knew of you. But you and I had never had a real conversation. So when when I go to an event like that, I have a list of probably five to six people that I'm very intentional about reaching out. And you were at the top of my list. And I, ha- I really wanted to have a meal with you and talk about a couple things. So I'm like, okay, this guy, top of my list. But yet you get nervous because you don't know what the person's reaction is going to be, right? So when we got to speak and spell on the first day, there was a buffet line type thing for breakfast. Remember that? And you were on one side and I was on the other. And it was the first I spotted you at, well, because we just arrived. And so in my heart, I'm like, you were a couple paces ahead of me. I'm like, all right, just go ahead and ask him if you'll sit and have lunch with you. He might have other plans. Everybody here knows him, but just, I'm thinking to myself, just be brave and ask him. If he, did, if he thinks you're weird, he'll think you're weird, right? That's what's going through my head. So when I finally catch up to you, I, go, I act like I'm seeing you for the first moment, even though I planned this for 30 seconds ahead of time, right? So I see him and I go, oh, Bobby, hey, Lori Guest. And before I could even say, would you have lunch with me? You go, hey, I was hoping to see you. Do you want to have lunch or something together? And you were all enthusiastic in my heart. I'm like, oh, I was on his and so here's two of us that are both thinking the other one I mean aren't human beings the funniest thing in the world and then I consumed your whole lunch hour with me talk 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 talking nonstop. and then when we're done I'm like oh and how are you <laughs> because I took the whole lunch hour talking about myself which I try not to do and anyway I just thought that was so perfect of what we're talking about here it is, is such a great illustration what was going through your head do you remember this well I so you I know what it was someone on your team had reached out so about you being a guest on my show okay and 
I take all pitches with a like, <laughs> eh, like, who are these people? And then I was like, wait, I know this person. So I had had it in my head that I wanted to make it happen, but I interview in batches and I just, the cycle hadn't happened yet. Sure. Right. And I also thought it'd be kind of fun to talk to you and see like what you were about to see how this would all flow. Sure. And so I knew I had it in my head that that was happening. And then I knew you were coming to the event. So I didn't have like a clear, like, I want to make sure we all connect, uh-huh. but you were, you were on my pseudo list. Yes. And I had a book slip with my name tentatively. Yes. You had it. <laughs> I love it. And what I love about this is that in your mind, everyone knew me at that event. Yes. This was not true <laughs> um, by any means. I mean, I made myself known, but that's yeah. a different story. <laughs> I'm good at that. But in that moment, I was walking and going, oh gosh, these are all like big name people that I'm surrounded by, um, including you. You know what I mean? Like this is, I love, humans are wonderful. And I- They are. I, I, I so appreciate you sharing that because I think we do spend quite a bit of time worrying about how other people are going to perceive right. us. And we really are surprised, but most people are gracious and loving and want to like connect and have a relationship. And, and the, the ones that don't- And the yeah. as everybody else. You know, like I'm, I'm embarrassed to ask because what if he says no? You know, and, and that wasn't even what your plan was. So I just- Yeah, that's no, I just saw you and was like, we should hang out. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So I want to, I have one last sort of question and then there'll be an opportunity for you to share how people can connect with you. Um, Wait, one last? I want to go two more hours. This is, this is it? <laughs> we're done already? Oh my we're, gosh. We're, we're wrapping up. Oh, that's so sad. All right, go ahead. <laughs> so <laughs> this is one of my, this is actually one of my favorite questions. And um, I actually recently asked this at a, uh, a holiday party where we all went around and answered this question. So okay. if we were to be meeting a year from now, and I'm excited to know that we will. We will be connecting yes, again. we will. And we are celebrating all of your successes from the previous year. Mm. What are we going to be celebrating? Well, my theme for 2020 is play a bigger, better year. I have a theme every year and I focus on that. So what I would be sharing with you is the ahas I've had in what play a bigger game really means. So I'm going into the year with what I think it means and the actions I'm going to take to play a bigger, better game. But I have complete confidence that when I talk to you a year from now, I will say, wow, here's what surprised me. I'm excited about that. Because it's always going to be something different than you think it's going to be. Yeah. Well, that is actually what's going to lead to those other aha moments, the willingness to see the the new information and not be like tunnel vision about what you think your goals are. Um, mm-hmm. That's wonderful. And uh, how can, can people- we do this again in a year? Can you interview me again in a year and I'll <laughs> well, tell you? All right. So now I'm going to, I'm going to reveal something to our listeners who are sticking around to the end here. I'm seriously going to take you up on your offer. Okay. You offer to interview me Yes. for my 200th show. That's right. And my 200th show is going to come up in July. So Perfect. I really, I've been thinking a lot about this. I think this yes. would be a lot of fun. So all right. we'll, we'll do be this ready. again, but we'll just switch who's sitting on what side of the table. That's awesome. Who hijacked yeah. my podcast? That's what I call it. Completely I, take over, which is not much different than my jump rope days. It just feels different because I'm nicer about it. Uh, <laughs> so Lori, how can people find you and follow your work? Uh, they can find me at lauriguest.com, L-A-U-R-I-E, and then G-U-E-S-T, like a guest speaker. LoriGuest.com and everything they need to know is right there. 
Fantastic. We will also have your LinkedIn and Twitter on the show notes at ontheschmooze.com, as well as links to uh, your books on Amazon. Thank you so much for joining us, Laurie. This has been a fantastic conversation. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Laurie. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 177. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as over 175 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. Did you know that January 15 is National Bagel Day? Or that January 30 is National Croissant Day? January 30th is also the two and a half year anniversary of the launch of my first book, Croissants versus Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences. In honor of all this, I'm reducing the price of that book for the last two weeks of January. Get the book and all the bonus content at croissantsvsbagels.com. If you enjoyed this episode with Lori, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review in Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. They'll be interviewing another town professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on the way to becoming a successful leader. Until then, have an awesome week. Thanks for listening to On The Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On The Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.